Oliver was baptized this morning because he responded to God's invitation of salvation, and uh, he was convicted. His mother was convicted. He came and met with me, and it was one of those things where it was time to get baptized and take that next step. In the Bible, in the book of Matthew, chapter 11, as I've told you to turn there, there's a, there's a portion at the end of the chapter, if you go down to verse 28, that we call the great, uh, the great invitation. And it says, and this will be familiar to many, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this word that you've given us, this great invitation this morning. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for Oliver's baptism. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the word of God that's gone forth already and all the adult Bible fellowships that's going on right now in the children's ministry that's going on in churches across the land. And Lord, we especially pray for those in like-minded churches that the word would continue to to uh, really resonate in this in this country and around the world as we need you and we need your word today. Lord, may you be glorified with the reading, the preaching, the application of the word of God today. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, this passage is also, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, this passage is found on page 1,291 in the, um, in the seat rack Bibles in front of you. Hopefully you can find one of those. So, uh, so this passage is one that we often quote when we talk about God's gracious invitation. Notice it deals with rest, and that's also the, the year that we're in right now is a theme of rest, and, and it's incredible that God is calling us to a place of rest. There's a lot of people today who need to receive the rest that God offers through this great invitation. But this morning, as we continue our sermon series in the seven realities, uh, if you missed my introduction last week, I recommend that you go back online and either listen to it, uh, or you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, all the links are there on our website. But today we're going to tackle HBF reality number one, real people must be found in real churches. And I read that passage about the great invitation, because ultimately uh, this church, we should want everyone. We should want everyone. Everyone is wanted, and everyone that comes in should feel welcome. Uh, but ultimately, not everybody that comes in is saved, right? So the goal is to get people saved. And, you know, really the reality is we need to go out, right? That's really the mission. We'll get to that great commission at a different time. But, but when we talk about reality, uh, we're really talking about authenticity. And what people are looking for is the real thing. If you, uh, Many of you probably remember the old Coke ad, the real thing, right? They, they, they pushed the fact that their product was the authentic, the authentic uh, you know, carbonated beverage, and uh, perhaps it is, I don't know, I don't really care. But the, the, uh, the thing is, is that authentic, really, if you want authentic, uh, you're gonna, you want to go back to the Lord, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the real thing. Uh, his word is the real thing. God is the author of eternal life. God is the one who has created us. He, all things come, I got something floating here, I don't know what that's about, but anyway, get behind me, Satan. And uh, <laughs> uh, at any rate, it is an annoyance. Could anyone but me see that? Okay, okay, so I was going to say, I just really fed the devil's lie here. If I, if I just did that, no one could see that but me, but. I know some of you are ADD, and that little thing would just mess you up if I let it float on, so we had to take care of that. So, um, or is that OC, whatever it is, obsessive compulsive, whichever one of those uh, acronyms. It's, it's something, and it would mess you up, so I'm glad we're good. Uh, and so Coke is the real thing, right? Or not really, Jesus is the real thing, and you can see the t-shirts, Jesus the real thing, and all of that. Um, <clears throat> but the, you know, we might say authentic people must be found in authentic churches. And, and I really, we don't really, uh, when we talk about being authentic, we have to be anchored to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the author of eternal life. What makes us really work as a church uh, is the fact that Jesus is literally uh, in us, like literally in the body, but in us individually. So when you get saved, he comes inside of us. The, the, the challenge of, a, of a, any church is making disciples who follow Jesus, which is, that's our next reality. We'll get into that a lot deeper. But it needs to be real, right? So when people walk in the door, they sense that, wow, you know, Jesus is, is present here. It's not a religion, as we like to say. It's a relationship. 
And so if we're going to win this world to Christ, it's, it's one relationship at a time. That's the way God designed it. Now, there's times when multiple people make professions of faith and get saved. Praise God for that, because we do cast a net, not just a hook, right? And so, you know, rappers cast hooks, we cast nets. And so the, the, the thing is, is we, we definitely, um, we need to make sure that we're authentic, that we're real, that we're genuine, but we don't have to compromise. This is where the church is in trouble in the last 20 years, 30 years especially, is we've compromised to the point that being real means, well, we just got to identify with the world. It's kind of like 180 degrees backwards. Now, Jesus was Jesus. He wore the sandals, and he hung out with everybody, and right, and he was a friend of publicans and sinners. All of those things apply to us as well. We need to be able to meet people where they're at. But what we don't need to do is live like the world, right? We don't, be, we don't have to become a pig to, to win a pig. You don't have to become an ass to win an ass, right? You need to be, and you don't have to become a dog to win a dog. You are the body of Christ. But there is an intentionality that we have to have to reach people where they're at. And real people must be found in real churches. And, and so, if you will, let me continue to develop this thing. I've gotten a little off note, so I've got to get back where I need to go. In 2006, when I introduced this message the first time, I, I used an illustration from the old Wendy's commercial in 1984, and it's very dated. I'm not going to go back and rework all that this time, but, but that I do want to mention it because back then there was this little ad called uh, where this old lady comes out, and I forget her name, and she goes, where's the beef? You know, she has this raspy voice. And she was literally like 90 years old, and uh, her career soared. It's kind of a marketing marvel. And so they came out with this, this, this little ad, and it just took off, and it changed. It literally, like the whole culture in America was, was saying, where's the beef? Where's the beef? And there's all kinds of things that, and commercials and, and uh, all kinds of things that went on. And, but the whole idea was Dave Thomas and his company, Wendy's, they, at that time, uh, Wendy's was like a, it was a non-player compared to McDonald's and Burger King. And they needed an entrance, right, into the, into the market. And this little phrase, this, this, this little lady uh, put them there. And it was an incredible uh, it was an incredible move from a marketing perspective, and it was, and I mean, how many of you remember that? I'm just curious. So, yeah, I mean, we still, even those of you that probably weren't born uh, when that was going on, probably have even heard that, because it, it made such a, a dent that presidential candidates and everybody were using it, you know, trying to, to slam each other, you know, it was all before, you know, social media, and so uh, so they, it was a big deal, but today's culture has morphed, as as I pointed out last week, and again, you need to go back and listen to last week because we aren't living in the 80s or the 90s or even 2010, right? We are in a different place than we were back then. And so things have morphed in a lot of ways. Because of technology, it's increasingly difficult to discern reality from fantasy. So when it comes to that ad, right, what that was about was they had this huge hamburger, right? And, and it was all like, a, a, it was a play. It was a, it was a joke that that, uh, or this huge hamburger, this huge hamburger bun and this tiny little hamburger, and the lady's yelling, where's the beef? You know, And it was pointing out the absurdity of, of calling a sandwich a Big Mac, right, or the Whopper. And Dave comes out and he says, hey, if you want, real, if you want the beef, come to my store because I'm not playing. This is, these guys, are, they're, they're, they're marketing you. you know? and, and, and he kind of pointed out the absurdity of, of the name of their sandwiches versus the actual content. But in reality, everyone was dealing with reality. I mean, if you lived at that time, you, could, you knew that. You're kind of like, yeah, those Big Macs have shrunk a lot. And, and they call it the Whopper ain't what it used to be. You know? And so you just kind of you knew that we were dealing with substance. You were dealing with content. You had contrast. You had empirical evidence. You just had to go to the store and pick up the sandwich, and you would see it. That's not how the world works anymore. And I know if you're, if you're, if you're young, you, you get what I'm saying. But if, if you're... If you're if you're my age, you're like, what? <laughs> How, what's going on? Maybe you're not even clued in yet. So let me, let me repeat this again. Because of technology, it's increasingly difficult to discern reality from fantasy. And this is not a political statement. I'm not even talking about politics. I'm talking about there is a huge... Technology is making an impact on people's minds and the culture in a unique way within the last several years, because our devices are with us constantly, we're tethered to them. Remember last week I pointed out a statistic that people have anxiety if they don't have their device. Like I left my phone on the chair. I'm not worried about it. 
But there's people that would be worried about it if they didn't have that thing attached. If they didn't have their leash, that's what I call it. I remember, remember when they started putting the leashes on us? See, some of us are old enough to remember that, right? So I lived in a time where literally, I remember my boss saying, you must wear the pager. And I wouldn't take the pager. You know, I resisted the pager. Why? Because I knew when I had that pager, what was it? It was my leash, right? I was going to take, that was the meaning I was on call at night, at home. And then, of course, we graduated to cell phones and then it was over, right? And so there was just kind of an, a natural resistance to being like on the leash. You know, I didn't want to be on the leash because I like had freedom when I was away from my leash. And so I like to go home without my pager. <laughs> I like to go, I didn't want to have to have my phone on all the time. You know, so there was that time many, many decades ago, nobody remembers anymore, where you weren't like tethered to technology, right? You lived a whole life without it. Like you could drive somewhere without, without people knowing where you were. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, can you imagine that? You, you could, you could like, you had to trust that like, like people were going to get there safe. And if they needed, I remember, this is a true story. In the 90s, when I first got married, we drove out to uh, Pennsylvania. I didn't have a cell phone. Can you imagine that life? And I remember stopping on the way home and getting on a pay phone. Or I think I went by a hotel lobby or somewhere. I found a phone because I had forgotten to tell my parents we were leaving from Pennsylvania. What? It was? No, that's a different story. But I, I, yeah, this is when we were coming back from PA because it was about Washington when I pulled over. I went in this ho- hotel lobby is what it was because I, I was too cheap to go to a, a, find a payphone. And I called my dad. I remember how upset he was because I hadn't talked to him in like a week. You know, he's like, we didn't know if you got there or not. And I'm glad you called me. You know, he's barking at me. And I'm like, well, oh, I'm glad my dad loves me. That's why if you knew my dad, Amy knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, that was his way of loving on me and like saying, hey, but there were not cell phones, right? And uh, you just, the technology has changed things. And it's increasingly diff- difficult today to even know sometimes and discern the difference from reality and fantasy. I mean, some of these movies we watch, you watch an old, I've had my kids watch old movies, you know, what I call old movies, something that I thought was cool back in the 80s or something. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh my gosh, look, it looks like I'm watching, you know, models or, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It's just like crazy, t- bad technology today. You, it's amazing what they can do. You can, you don't know what you're looking at. Uh, technology has advanced so much. When it comes to relationships, and we're going somewhere here, I'm not just rambling. When it comes to relationships, you know, human relationships or divine relationships, which are in essence, one and the same, because God has created us for relationship, uh, that does not work well. You, you will not find reality or authentic, authentic I'm sorry, relationships outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Every relationship is going to be severed if it's not found in Christ, ultimately, because of sin. Because Satan decided that God wasn't the real deal, that he was the real deal, and he wanted to usurp that authority, and sin entered in the world, and of course it's affected Adam's fallen race, and and here we are. And so there's a lot of messages that can simulate the gospel. But at length, there is only one true gospel. They're not all real, right? They're not all real. They're, They're not all authentic. There's a lot of gospels out there talking about how you can have a relationship with Christ. But in reality, they don't lead you to a relationship with Christ. So not able to discern reality is not something that's new. This has been something that Satan has been dealing with since Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. With, with, and what was it all about? It was about corrupting relationships. Our job is to be ministers of reconciliation and repair, restore those relationships, and that happens through the true gospel. It's easy to discern for us, if you're saved here this morning, it's super simple. It's so simple, it's almost like, it's freakishly simple. It's like, how did I miss that? I remember when I got saved, I'm like, how did I miss this? Because I was spiritually blind, right? Uh, but it's so simple to discern between a tr- the true gospel that we preach, the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and any false gospel, because it really boils down to this simple truth. The gospel is simply received by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about grace, if it's authentic, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. 
It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's grace given to us freely, though it cost God everything in the sacrifice of his son. The false, go- the false gospel will always include a form of merit, a form of works. It, it gives one a false illusion that they may earn salvation through their own merit or their own works. Rather, it be baptism in water, keeping rules and sacraments, or being a, uh, you know ascetic and self-deprecating and beating yourself into submission, right? Uh, and 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 putting yourself through some sort of you know torturous activity to to uh, burn off the sin. Um, and all of that behavior serves to keep people in further bondage in sin and shame. And and that has to be that is the biggest that is the biggest hoax that Satan and the flesh in this world uh, has played on everybody. And it's still actively going on to this day. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, is not something that is is uh, is wanted by Satan. It's something that's rejected. It's something that he can barely. Uh, well, not barely. It's something that he does not want to see us continue to proclaim. When it comes to having a real, authentic, uh, you know, Christian relationship uh, in real, authentic churches, we need biblical reality, not religion or religious humanistic fantasy. We we can't live in that. We got to deal with the reality. All men have fallen, but Jesus Christ has come to save all. And when it comes to, to having that relationship, we have to be grounded in reality. So if you have your Bible, just flip a few books over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Let's look at some reality in, re, in regard to the relationship that this church needs to have with everybody in the world. Because we know that God wants all people to be saved. Uh, and let's see what the Bible says about that. When it, when it comes to our first reality this morning, that real, authentic people must be found in real, authentic churches, Right? we will find that, that Christians must be willing to reach people from all, all walks of life. All walks of life. And that is what challenges Christians. Because you know what? Just because you receive the gospel doesn't mean you believe it works in everyone else's life. Right? Oh, it works for me. But in our, sometimes in our testimony, we don't believe it works for someone else. Because they can't be saved because of this, that, or the other thing that they've done. Oh, they can be saved. They just need to receive the gospel. And the Bible even says that in John chapter 1 and verse 12. Look at this text. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, if you go back to verse 11, you see that not everybody received him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And then it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. This phrase is controversial today, as it was in 2006 or 33 AD, um, when I said it, you know, last time I preached it, and, and also when Jesus said it initially. Because when he said all, he meant all, all that would receive him. So point A in your text there, everyone is wanted, and I mean everyone. So consider the context of this passage in John 1.12. Consider the context but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus came to offer himself as our Savior, right? Uh, we, I think we understand that. That's the basics. Now, this morning, have you received him? That's the question. We just saw uh, you know, the testimony of Oliver. He says, I've received him, and then he followed him in believer's baptism, not to be saved, but because uh, he professes that he is saved. And so, uh, and so Oliver followed him in obedience, right? Because he's already received the gift of eternal life. So initially, uh, Jesus came to those of his own ethnic group, the Jews in Israel. Yet his public ministry, he traveled to, to Samaria. And he ministered to the woman at the well. And he, he reached out to the Samaritans who were half-breeds. And uh, they, were, they were confused on the promises of the, both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And from there, uh, after the resurrection... Uh, his great invitation that we started with applied to all nations as he gave the great commission to everybody. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Which that was, a, that was an incredible command uh, for those Jews to hear. And it was even harder for them to execute on. From there, uh, they went forth. And then a missionary uh, came along named the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was, was the apostle to the, to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. 
And so he literally got the gospel to the entire world. And I know a lot of you know that. That's basic Bible. And it's important, though, that we kind of start there as we realize that God really does want everyone. And he demonstrated that in his ministry, in the way he called the Jewish apostles, in the way he called Paul out uh, particularly to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And when missionary, speaking of Paul, when missionary Paul Clark was here several years ago, he made a really strong point that a church that is not involved in missions is not in God's will. I mean, if you're not about the mission of God as a church, you are out of God's will. He made that very strong point, and he was absolutely correct. We will not be able to reach the world if we don't welcome people who are different from us to partake in our, in our relationship with Christ. And I'm speaking to Christians now, people who have trusted Jesus Christ, who have not been deceived into trying to work their way to heaven uh, or merit salvation, uh, but to actually trust that Jesus Christ's finished work has done everything on the cross, and they place their faith in his finished work. They've received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, and so those of us that are saved, we have that relationship with Christ. It's secure. It is the real thing. It is authentic. And if you take any other system uh, for salvation, you can talk about Islam, you can talk about Catholicism, you can talk about all kinds of religions. Uh, the, at the end of the day, uh, they all are like the contrast. You lift it up and there's no, there's no beef, right? There is nothing there. It is not the substance that God wants us to have. It is, not what, it is not the relationship that God has intended. And so God uses anyone he chooses. God uses anyone he chooses. Now, in John chapter 1, let's go back up a little bit, because I want to talk a little bit about how God works. In John chapter 1, go back to verse 6, because this is an introduction. And when you're in the epistle of John, you're dealing with Jesus Christ as God. It's, it's the deity and so John presents him as God in this epistle. It, it's missing some of the historical elements of Luke because that's dealing with Jesus Christ as a son of man. And so this is dealing with Jesus as a son of God. Matthew is the king and, uh, and Mark is, the, is a servant. So each gospel has a different lens in which it's viewing the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this epistle, it just jumps right to his public ministry. And, and you get to verse uh, 6. It starts off actually with him being creator of all, being God. So John introduces Jesus as God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then it just jumps ahead 30 years, doesn't worry about his birth, uh, because before he was born, he was God, you know. And so, I mean, he's, he was God the whole time. But the point is, is that, that this is focusing on his deity. And so it just jumps right to the, this, this mission, which was to come to save sinners and, and establish himself among the nation of Israel. And, and it comes to this, this man, uh, who we know to be John the Baptist, and it says, there was a man Verse 6, sent from God, whose name was John. And the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light <clears throat> that all men through him, notice it says, might be saved or might uh, believe. He's not going to force anybody. Uh, he was not that light, uh, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. That's Jesus, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. And that brings us back to verse 12. So God uses anyone he chooses. The man sent from God was a rough-looking fellow. He was a rough fellow. Now, according to Matthew 3, 4, John the Baptist wore a camel skin suit with leather girdle. I mean, he looked like he was with the galloping goose, right? I mean, he rolled up on his Harley, and he was ready. But he wasn't on his Harley. I mean, he did, but he, looked, he, was, he was, for the day even, the customs of that day, it was like John the Baptist was with some rough-looking dude. And, uh, and, he, and, uh, and he didn't look like the press secretary for the Prince of Peace. But in reality, he was. He was the one that God was calling. His favorite dish was locusts and honey. And, and it wasn't even a social media challenge, right? I mean, that's just literally how he rolled. He wasn't doing it as a shtick. It was, this is how he was rolling. And, and, and who are we to say, beloved, who God is going to use? You know, we sometimes get in our mind who God is going to use. <clears throat> Remember when Israel did that? They just knew God was going to use Saul, not Saul of Tarsus, but Saul the Benjamite. They knew it. I mean, everybody voted on it. It was the democratic process. And God's like, nope, I'm going to use that little shepherd. His own family didn't even know, right? They were like, who? David? What? He's out in the field with the sheep. That little kid? He ain't, you're, you, what? You're anointing that guy that nobody knew. God knew. 
God uses anyone he chooses, and it's always based on the condition of the heart and their willingness to receive his words, receiving his words. How they view their relationship with God through the word of God is critical. God can save anyone, and I mean anyone, who calls upon him. He can save Mr. Ping, Xi Jinping, or whatever his name is in China. He can save Vladimir Putin. He could save Joe Biden. I mean, he can save anybody he chooses, and we should be praying, and I'm not kidding. We should be praying that they all get the gospel, every one of them. I don't really care what country they're running. At the end of the day, they all need to be saved. Could you imagine if Hitler would have gotten saved? That God would have, I mean, the devil would have had to use a different, uh, a different center. I mean, praise God. I mean, that would have been awesome. And so, uh, so we need to be praying. Uh, we need to be praying that all men get saved. I mean, that's really what God's will is. God's not willing that any should perish. Now, that just challenges us. Well, what about this? And what about that? Well, what about this? And what about that? I'm not saying there's not consequences for sin. There is. But even a guy on death row that deserves legally the death penalty, we should still pray that God, that he comes to the place where he trusts Christ as Savior before he gets to to go. Either he's going to go to hell or go to heaven. And you're like, well... Now, obviously, I know people really think that people should go to hell and, and punish, but that's because they don't understand the magnitude of their own sin. And, uh, and also, we don't understand the magnitude of God's grace. Now, this is an entry-level message right off the start, but it's really heavy when you start thinking about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and how that has to be authentic in our lives if we're going to reach everybody that God wants us to reach, the people that you don't like. You know, the Jews were, they didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't want to go there. But God, Jesus says, I must needs go to Samaria. I got appointments down there. There's people that need to get saved. And then the lady that he ends up winning was, even among the Samaritans, was not a woman of, of a, a popular, uh, of, uh, of, of uh, being a, uh, what do you call it? Popular. Yeah, she wasn't popular among her peers. She was a woman that, that had a bad reputation of going from man to man. And of course, Jesus called her out on all of her sin, and she finally repented. But God can save anyone who calls upon him. And so, uh, have you ever noticed that three of God's key men in Scripture were murderers? Moses, David, and Saul of Tarsus. I mean, they're, they're, they're cold-blooded killers. <laughs> Those are three of the key men that God used uh, to lead his people. Certainly murder, by the way, is not qualifying them, right? Not at all. But God's grace is greater than their sin. As the old hymn says, you know, grace, grace, God's grace, greater than all my sin. So is there sin in our life that you think is bigger than God's grace and his ability to forgive you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're lost, you're without hope, you're without Christ. The reality is it's not about how bad you sin or how good you are. It's about how good God is and how willing and ready he is to forgive you if you bow your knee and confess him as Lord of all. And Lord is the key. He is the Lord of all, meaning he needs to have your cooperation. He expects you to bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God. I mean, are you willing to go there? A lot of people mouth it, oh, Jesus is my Lord, but they don't really mean it in the heart. It's got to be confessed with the mouth but believed in the heart, and you are saved. I mean, you're there. You are born again doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been. I can remember back in the 80s when I was young once, and there's a movie. We were young. We were soldiers. But anyway, um, there was this guy, Manuel Noriega, and he ran this, uh, this country called Panama in Central America. And uh, man, this guy, man, he knew his business. He was working with the CIA and, and all entrapped with the United States. Somewhere he got things crossed. I don't remember. But George Bush, who's also senior, uh, he was a CIA guy. He used to run the CIA. So he, he ends up, you know, whatever happened with Manuel Noriega, he crossed George Bush in the United States. Uh, and so next thing you know, he's on the run for his life down in, uh, in Panama. We send in the military, you know, and Manuel Noriega, he's, he's uh, this dictator. He's on the run, and he's a Roman Catholic. He's a good Roman Catholic. And, uh, and I don't know what he was doing. I don't remember now, selling arms or not selling arms or not selling drugs or stealing money. He did something wrong. And um, <clears throat> anyway, and he, he's smart enough to know that Rome is going to be his cover. 
I mean Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, because he, he was obviously tight with, with Rome. And so he runs, you know, he didn't run to the nearest Baptist church, let me tell you, because they would have just, <laughs> just blew that thing up. Uh, he, runs to, he runs to the nearest uh, Catholic church monastery, and he gets in there, and then he's like, okay, you know, I'm safe, tag, you know, you can't get me. He's at home. And he was. So all of our, all of our troops roll up, and, uh, and he's, it's a standoff. You know, and now we're negotiating with Rome over Manuel Noriega, you know, and we probably paid off Rome. I don't know what happened. I really don't know all the details. I do know this. We captured him, and Rome eventually turned him over to the U.S., and then he went to a jail in Florida, and they brought him home. They extradited him, brought him to the U.S., and put him in a prison in Florida. You know what happened to that rascal? He got born again, didn't he? Praise God. Best thing that ever happened to Manuel Noriega. He got, he got put in prison and became a born-again believer, bona fide, son of God. Hallelujah. You know, I don't know what he did to George Bush. I don't know what he did to cross our nation. But you know what? I'm glad the guy got saved. It doesn't matter if you're the head of state. It doesn't matter who you are. You've got God was, you know what? He thought the U.S. was after him. You know who was really after him? God. You know who led him to Christ? God did through just, just someone like you or I. Just a local prison minister showing up, doing what he does. Ends up leading a guy like Manuel Noriega. Christ. Am I using the right name? That is the right fella. Yeah. I just realized, is that the right dictator? Anyway, uh, I didn't have that in my notes, so I just made, I didn't make all that up, but that just, that was, that's why I go over in my messages. But anyway, uh, and so is there a sin in your life that you think is bigger than God's grace and ability to forgive you? There isn't any sin that God can't overcome with his goodness because he's better than our worst. Now, the issue isn't the size of our sin. <clears throat> uh, it's the condition of the heart. Because God's sacrifice is sufficient. It's much greater than all our sin. If God can forgive anyone, and he can, we should be willing to offer the gospel to all, all that will receive it. All right, so if we're not willing to reach real, uh, reach people, real people where they live, we may pass over some of God's greatest servants. Because you don't ever know who God's going to use. That's an issue of the soil of their heart. And so reaching sinners is not only for their best interest, but also for our best interest. I think about this in my own testimony because, I, you know, when I first, before I got saved, my, I, I did not have a great relationship with my drafting instructor. If he was in his flesh, he could have said, you know what, I don't like that kid. You know, he's arrogant and he pushes back in subtle ways and he's a little rebellious. I don't like that guy. I'm not going to share the gospel. That kid don't deserve it. He's a jerk. And, and I'm, I'm not like exaggerating. You could ask Earl if he was here. He didn't care. We had these talks after I got saved. He really didn't care for me before I got saved. I wasn't his best and brightest. I had to, the first quarter, I had to cheat off of Mike Doss so I could catch up, figure out where I was at. And then I got, I did get catch up on my own speed, praise the Lord, by the midway but of that first year. But it was it was like, he didn't lead me to Christ because I, I'd merited his favor. Of the students in his class, I'm sure he could have thought of other people who should have gotten saved or may have been, done something a lot better. If he was just asking him, if he was doing the Saul vote, you know, who should be the next king, <laughs> right? I'm not the king, but you get what I'm saying. Who should, get, who should get the reward of salvation? Who's merited it? Well, it wasn't me, you know. It wasn't passive-aggressive Brian. That's definitely not who it was. And so, by God's grace, uh, that is not what informed his decision to share the gospel with me. Um, he did it because God saved him. And he didn't see me as I was. He saw me as I could be. Can you remember what you were like before Christ? And even if you were saved as a young you know, child and you were brought up in a Christian home and never lived in the world, you can still imagine in your heart what it would be like if you were not saved, because you know you still deal with sin. Your fleshly moments would be your constant reality. You second-generation Christians, you know, that you're like always raised in the culture of Christianity, you, you still struggle with sin because you're human. The reality is, now just imagine when you're struggling with sin, that's your constant reality. And on top of it, you're completely blind. And you don't have a culture where you come to church on Sunday. Your culture is somewhere outside of the local church. There is no relationships with real people that are also taking you forward in your faith. 
It's, it's, a, it's a scary place. I don't know about y'all, but when I was lost, I, I would have moments of just like, man, where is all the, what is life about? Where is this going? You know, you have this kind of just emptiness in your heart. It's, it's scary. So that's why you got to do something. Drink, drug, sex, drugs, rock and roll, man. Entertain yourself. Get to as many football. I mean, when football ends, you got to find a new sport. I mean, you just got to keep finding something to fill up and fill up and fill up because you know if you get alone and you think about it hard enough, you're lost. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where this is ended. You don't know what's going to happen. Man, you remember that? Oh, man, I'm glad I'm saved. So, point three, God is not limited by those who refuse. Oh, hallelujah to you. Look at verse 11 again. It says, he came unto his own, but his own received him not. So he didn't just pack up his bag and say, well, I'm done with this. I came to my own. Forget it, man. They don't want it. I'm going back to heaven. Father, I want to be with you as I will. I'm going to skip to chapter, uh, skip up to chapter, you know, 14 through 17, and I'm going to pray that you, I'm glorified with you as I was before. And just, let's just forget all this. Let's just torch it. Let's just send down some hail and, and fire and brimstone and just torch the whole thing. I'm done. Hey, that's not how Jesus worked. You know why Jesus didn't work that way? Because his father, the, the mature member of the Godhead, said, nope, I love the world. I love the world. Sorry, they refused you, son. Just keep going. Everybody that will receive you, man, hey, give them eternal life. You know, you're going to get rejected. And increasingly, as, as, the, as this world's reality becomes a fantasy, and they're not able to discern where the truth lies, that the truth is right here in this black book, the Bible, the authorized version, man. You got it, in your, if you're an English speaker, in your own language, man. You got the real, authentic deal. You got what Jesus wants for you. Man, the world could care less. They'll reject you. Why did they reject you? Well, because they rejected him. But so have you. Even after we're saved, we've rejected him. And that's why we need to continue. God's not limited by those who uh, refuse. Our lack of concern for the will of God does not limit God's ability to find servants who will serve him. Think about that for a second. Our lack of concern for the will of God does not limit God's ability to find servants who will serve Him. So God would, would, uh, <clears throat> God would have loved to use the Hebrews. I mean, He really would have. And, and He, uh, and who had through thorough knowledge, sorry, i got to put my glasses on. They had thorough knowledge of the Old Testament to preach the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the Hebrews' leaders uh, re- rejected Christ and, did not, and that did not hinder God from finding his Gentile bride and promoting the gospel to the uttermost for the past 2,000 years. Praise God. If we, do, if we, uh, <clears throat> if we make uh, connecting with people in our lives a priority, God will find somebody, even somebody who doesn't know the Bible as well as we do, uh, to do the job in our stead. If we don't make connecting with people, I'm sorry, the priority in our lives, he'll find others to do it for us. So it's not just like a responsibility. It's also, more, more importantly, this is an opportunity. Being authentic with God and telling people about Christ, giving them the gospel, whoever they may be, man, that is all about taking advantage of the opportunity. And if, God, if we don't take advantage of it, he'll treat us like Israel. He'll move down the street. Who's the next church that's willing to, to go to the othermost parts of the world? Where's the next Christian that's willing to share the gospel? There's opportunity and opportunity and opportunity <coughs> that we provide. Uh, opportunities are important to our success because we get to seize those. But if we don't seize them, God is not stopped. He will continue on without us. I was in a church service when I was a young believer in 1990, and with all boldness and power, an evangelist from Adrian Rogers Church named David Ripley stood and, and proclaimed to our church, our big church, big, big church, if you don't take the gospel uh, where it needs to go, God will simply go down the street. And man, in the next few years after following that sermon, uh, God used that church to take the dis- discipleship to the entire country of Romania after the Romanian Revolution. And God opened a big, huge, stinking door. And the whole, just like when we went to help with the Bhutanese downtown, the whole church ended up migrating. I mean, not the whole church, but like 400 members of the church ended up taking a trip to Romania because Ceausescu had fallen, the door had opened, and the churches needed discipleship. They needed to be discipled. 
because they'd been in oppression under Soviet Union for so long. And so, so in the next couple of years following that sermon, it was an incredible open door. What would have happened if people, if the pastors wouldn't have listened? What would have happened if the church wouldn't have prepared? What would have happened if they didn't go? Oh, the Romanians wouldn't have got discipled. No, perhaps God would have found a church, another church. He'd have found somebody else. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege to share the gospel. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, the prophet Isaiah was, was uh, not told to go. He was simply responding to the question God was asking. In Isaiah 6, 8, he says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? That's, that's all he heard. Who, who shall I send and, and who's going to go for us? Who's going who's to take the will of the Godhead forward? Who's going to do it? He didn't say, Isaiah, you need to go. He just put the question out. You know, sometimes God just puts the question out. Who's going to go reach the lost world? Who among us is actually going to go share the gospel? Who's going to actually take the, the initiative to study the Bible and make it the priority to set aside the fantasy and get into the reality of a relationship with God so the world can get a hold of Jesus? That's what we need to be answering. Who? Will it be you? Isaiah said, uh, <clears throat> then said I, here am I, send me. God says, okay, I'll use you, Isaiah. Who will go to your classmates? Who will go to your classmates? Or your neighborhood? Who's going to go to the lost? Who's going to tell your employer? Who's going to tell your coworker? Who's going to tell your family member? Who is going to go? I'll tell you who's going to go. Real people. People that are connected to the book. <laughs> people that understand who Jesus is and are willing like John the Baptist to stand up and say, Hey, look, look, this is Jesus. You need to receive him. This is Jesus. You can find him. He's the real McCoy. He is the real deal. He is the real relationship. He is the beef. He is, he is the authentic power of God unto salvation. Who will go if you don't? We have no excuses. Even a child can share the gospel. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 1, incredible introduction. This verse rocked my world many decades ago. It says, Then said I, verse 6, All Lord God. See, God had called him to go. There's some of you in this room right now. I think God's just going to be beating you in the head and the neck for the next several weeks. As we go through this, as we go into vision conference, I don't know who you are, but God's calling you. God's calling you, God's calling you, God's calling you, like he was calling Jeremiah, and we put up our excuses. We say, well, not me, not I, not me. Jeremiah then says, oh, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak for I'm a child. Moses said, I can't speak because I can't speak well. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Don't give me your excuses, Jeremiah. I've called you. Who's going to go if you don't, Jeremiah? I don't want to know because I'm calling you. You see, the word of God goes forth, and the spirit of God sets in on our hearts. And the next thing you know, you know the preacher is not talking about somebody else, but the spirit of God has identified you to go. You are the one that has to go. You have to tell that person. You have to share the gospel. And you know who it is. You know where you need to go. You know what training you need to get. You know what it is because the Spirit of God has made it clear. But you've got to eliminate the excuses and say, Yes, Lord, you are my Lord. I will follow you. Even if it's to Harrisonville. Even if it's to India. Even if it's to Europe. Even if it's to my job. You know, whatever. Wherever God calls you, go. Okay, so consider the coverage of verse 12. You see, God wants everyone to receive his son, but as many as received him, as many as would have him. We must want every soul, regardless of their condition, their color, their nationality, their sexual orientation. Oh, that's a hot buzzword thing. Political uh, persuasion. All of those things don't really matter because God died on the cross for all. 
If God does not discriminate when it comes to sharing the gospel, then how can we? In Galatians 6 and verse 15, the Bible says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You know, have, have you and I looked at the fabric, fabric I'm so, sorry, of our society? It's increasingly being broken down into synthetic identity groups. You know what synthetic is? It's not the real thing. I mean, we're getting so <clears throat> diced up in tiny little segments in these false identity groups. Not based on any empirical data, not on reality, but some fantasy that somehow your sexual perversion defines who you are. You're not a male, you're not a female, you're not a human. No, you are your behavior. That's the craziest thing. That's not happened. I mean, this is a new thing because people are living in a fantasy. Throughout the ages of human history, people are just not that stupid. They know better, right? You can be a sexual pervert all you want, but you're still biologically a male. You you can be some sexual pervert all you want as a female, but you're still biologically a female. It's just the way it is. That's the way. You can't change that because that's the way God created it. You can try to change it. That's called mutilation. Right? You may be confused. That's called gender dysphoria. Right? All those things are realities, but people aren't living in reality. They're being diced up into little segments of fantasy. And you know what? God loves them anyway. Now, back in the day... In the first century, when Jesus gave this gospel and said, go to all nations, you had a people group that were Jews. And there are three primary people groups, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. We covered this on Wednesday night. The church is composed of those who are biblically born again. Everyone else that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so that caused a problem for the Jews because they had a lot of promises. Still, Israel has a lot of promises. And they were confused about how God could, could not, you know, could just go straight to the Gentiles without going through them. Well, they had to factor in that they had rejected him and God could get it done without him. And so, uh, and so in Galatians 6.15, the Bible says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Jesus says, hey, listen, I, I've got a new way of, of redeeming folks. It's through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, my power is sufficient. And so have you looked at the fabric of this society and seen how this is being broken down? Real, authentic, and empirical things like gender are no longer considered absolute. And you can identify as anything you want because people are losing a grip on reality and thereby the opportunity to have a relationship with the author of life. When you say author, he is the one who wrote it. He is the authority He is what makes it authentic. If you want to have life, you cannot ignore the author. You just can't. You can't do that. That's a fantasy that's not going to benefit. And you know what's not going to help? What's not going to help? And and, and this this may be where we have a crossroads culturally, in this church in particular. I'm not talking about every other church. I'm talking about Heartland Baptist Fellowship. What's not going to help get people who are living in a fantasy world to realize that they need the author of life, they need the authority, they need the authentic relationship with the God who created them. What's not going to help that is churches that are shallow and putting out popcorn Christianity. That is not helping. It's not going to do anything. That is not what the younger generation... Remember the introduction last week, so keep that, keep that bookmarked in your mind because we're going somewhere with all... That's not going to help that younger generation. What we were doing in the eight, 70s, the eight, especially the 80s, the 90s, you know, that ain't, that ain't going to get it. And when I say popcorn Christianity, what I'm talking about is marketing techniques, little quips, trying to be like the world. That's not what this generation needs. The generation coming, they, you know what they really need? They need to see people dedicated, willing to turn off the noise and focus on the words of God. It's the same old formula, right? Yeah, but it's a little different now. Why? Because we're all getting caught up in the noise. We've got to stay focused on the main thing. They need a substantive biblical conversation that will answer their questions. 
I mean, real questions. Because they're professors, because the internet, they're getting all this information that tells them what you believe, Brian, is a lie. And they assume they already know what you believe before they've even let you open your mouth. Because it's been preconditioned. Which is even why we need to have a life, a life that represents what we say we believe. There's a reason that Joe Rogan podcast, which I don't listen to because I can't stand his foul mouth, is so popular. Um, there's, there's a reason that, that his podcast is, is reaching so many people. You know why? Anybody want to tell me why? Because he drops the F-bomb every word? No. It's because he's having a substantive conversation. Oh, how many of you don't know who Joe Rogan is? Let me ask you. Okay. So some of you don't. All right. He's like one of the most popular podcast guys, but he's also an MMA announcer guy, and he used to do Fear Factor, free reality TV people back in the 90s. And so, uh, and so Joe Rogan, he, has a, he is like blowing up the podcast world because he has this uninterrupted uh, conversation where they don't just do a 20-minute or 15-minute bit. They'll sit and talk about one topic. For over an hour. You know what? You know what? All the you know. Literally, I've had. And it's just like people tell me, Brian. People can't listen to more than thirty-five minutes of preaching. I'm like, I know it, but I can't get it out in thirty-five minutes most of the time. <laughs> Their attention spans are so short. That's actually that's tr- that's all true when you're marketing to people. But if you engage someone in a substantive conversation that they're interested in. They'll talk for hours and hours. Man, if you fall in love with some young man or some young girl, you'll just talk for hours and hours. You'll wear your, th- your thumbs out, man. You'll, I mean, it'll, it'll just... <laughs> it just goes on and on. We need a substantive relationship with the real God. We need to get full thoughts out there. We need to make sure we develop the Word of God in a way where people can get a hold of it, that it's relative to where they're at. Joe is just a cheap rip-off of what God has been offering the church for centuries and and the world for centuries. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 8, it's not me saying that. This is what the Bible says. Jesus has said this a long time ago through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. You know, the first substantive conversation every soul needs to have, they need to have a reasonable conversation about their sin. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. HBF must be the church that Jesus left us uh, here to be. We must be able to have real relationships, substantive, that I can't even say what I wrote, substantive, there it is, relationships with God and other people who are starving for authentic fellowship, who can taste and see that the Lord is good when they come in contact with you because you know what's flowing out of your belly? Somebody tell me. What's flowing out of our belly? Oh man, what did Jesus give the woman at the well? Water of of the living water, man. You have water of life flowing from your soul. And it isn't, it isn't like a literal, you're not vomiting on anybody. It is the words of God. Del Lytle rolls down the hall here yesterday after HBI to see me. He's down here building Bibles. And you know what's rolling out of his lips? The word of God. I'm sitting there, listening. I'm marveling at Del. Because if you know Del, Del's a lot of things. But Del is sitting there, and I'm just like going, wow, man. This dude's, his well, he is just rolling in the word of God. I mean, he's just flowing the word of God out of his mouth. And he is a well of life. I'm like, praise God. That's how I need to be, man. Just let the Word of God flow freely. Be a well of living waters. Have a substantive conversation. Come and reason with people about why their sins can be covered. If you can't reason from the Scriptures about salvation, then, man, you need to, if you're in this church, there is no excuse. We're here to teach you that. Get in an IGO group. Get in a discipleship. We will get you where you need to go. Point C, consider the commitment. Oh, that's often what happens is we get caught up in the commitment. God empowers anyone. Now, we saw in verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, that's the key, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13, Which were born not of blood, this isn't physical, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You see, God empowers anyone who will receive him. Jesus does not ask for a lot. 
No, he doesn't. He doesn't ask for a lot. He asks for everything. That's the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus. He's not asking for a lot. He's asking for all. That's it. And if you're going to reckon with the gravity of sin, and you're going to communicate the gravity of sin, we've got to be clear about that when it comes to our gospel presentation. We're not dipping the toe in here to see if Jesus works for me. Jesus works. You're going to have to believe that by faith. He said he works. Now will you put your faith in him? They don't need to understand Genesis to Revelation. They need to understand Jesus Christ and him crucified, the power of God unto salvation. They need to get a hold of that because that is enough. How are we going to be an authentic Christian reaching a real world where they, where they live if we are living in a bubble of false security where it's safe and sterile? You know, what, what will not get the job done is us staying in our safe place. Us keeping our kiddos in a safe little cocoon in our little safe little Christian world and our unwillingness to go out and engage people that we're scared of because they don't look like you, they don't talk like you, they may not smell like you, they may not live like you, whatever. It doesn't matter. You go where God tells us to go. I got to go too, not just you. We got to go where God tells us to go and share with everybody because you know what? God loves those people as much as he loves you and you're safe. And I don't know really, hopefully I'm not... Hopefully that's not your attitude if you go to this church. But I despise that little safe, little cocoon thingy that, uh, that goes on in, in evangelical Christian America. It's so faithless. And the world sees right through it. Man, if my God's not big enough to engage the culture, then I don't have a big enough God. In spite of the false narratives that go on in the culture, in spite of Satan's best. You know in the tribulation, when the Spirit of God's taken up with the church... God will empower men like, like Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, to stand up and take on the culture. I mean, God's well able to overcome the very strongest uh, influence of Satan. Don't let the devil be your influencer. Don't get stopped just because there's opposition. If anything, use that as encouragement to go forward. If there's not spiritual resistance, then, I mean, spiritual persistence should bring satanic resistance. And if there's not friction, you're not getting any traction. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be difficulties. But you know what? We still have to go forward in faith and share the gospel to everybody we can. Jesus calls us to convert people with the conversion of our lives, not just our lips. If you and I want to see people change, if I want to see someone change, then I need to be changed. In Titus 2, the Bible says this, Young men, likewise, exhort uh, to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Well, wait a minute, Brian. You said this isn't about works, not for salvation. But beloved, our, our sanctification should be, should be a marvelous, a glorious set of works based on not the fact that we got to be saved, Ephesians chapter 2, we got saved by grace through faith, but we got saved unto good works. The work that we do now, we do in the power of God's Spirit. And God does call us to good works. Right after church, we're going to tear down the tables and, or tear, tear down the chairs and set up tables. That's a good work. Get it done. And God will be glorified. Why? Because God's working. God's a working man. Because we're saved, not to be saved. So those of us that are saved, we should have a pattern of good works. In doctrine, right, what the Bible teaches, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, taking the words of God seriously. It's not just an option. It is the option. It's not just knowing a little. If you're taking this serious, some of you know more about a car engine than you know about the Bible. You could tell me every part of a motor. You know everything about it. I'm not talking about Matt. <laughs> Sorry, Matt, not the point of you. But the point is this. We need to know our Bibles like that. Preacher used to say, you know your job more than you know the Bible. Your job ain't going to save you. You should know your job, but you should know your Bible more. We should have a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, that we really take the word seriously, enough to apply it in our lives. Sound speech. We're not dropping the F-bomb like Joe Rogan. We got a whole new language. It's called the language of grace. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the way we communicate with people. It's the ability to connect with people with the God, love of God, an uncorruptness, a gravity, a sincerity, a sound speech that cannot be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Why? Because we know we got a target on us. There's a hitman out there called Satan, and he wants to take you out. That's why you have the whole armor of God, the shield of faith, all that stuff. How can we lead someone to a real relationship with Christ if it's not reality in our life? The reason people are checking out on Christ and Christianity 
is because we're not crossing the rivers without bridges. And if you may not know what I'm talking about there, but there's not one example in the Bible of people building bridges. It's always coming up to something that's impossible and waiting on God to part the water. Sometimes you've got to put your toe in and God will do it. Sometimes you just wait. But God miraculously moves the obstacles. You've got to trust him. We've got to trust him to get us where he's taken us. And I tell you what, he will get us where he says he's going to take us. We're dependent on our own wisdom, our own ingenuity, our own marketing skills. Hey, I use it. I'm like, hey, Luke, put this in the, in the chamber. Put this on social media. Let's do this and that. We use all those tools too. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know what people really need? They don't need a slick marketing campaign. They need Jesus. And we can never, ever forget that. It's not about how well the band plays. It's not about how well this goes and that goes. It's about knowing that when someone shows up to the local New Testament church, Jesus is there. And he is in the midst. He is getting it done. Lives are being changed, and we are sincere about the Word of God. That's why we must win real people, because real people demonstrate to the world the best stories. You know what? I call them trophies of grace. Trophies of grace, man. God needs as many trophies of grace as possible. Real, authentic people, sinners that got saved by grace through faith. Hallelujah to you. So that is point one. Next week, we'll pick up points two and three, and so keep your outline. I'll have a new one ready for you, but... Next week will be in James. So this morning, what we learned about real, authentic Christianity, it must be found in real churches. These churches, everybody's wanted. Do you really want to see everyone saved? God does. Are we willing to take the gospel where it needs to go? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity.